chapter 2. Second chapter of Philippians. And we'll just read a couple of verses here. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. And especially when I highlight just those words, holding fast the word of life. The word of life is a very precious commodity in a world that's full of death. A world that's full of darkness, a world that's full of deception. The word here is taken to mean the message of the gospel. The very word of God itself, the good news the knowledge and understanding of our Christian belief. And Paul says here, depending on which translation you're reading from tonight, uh, Paul says here that we are to hold fast or hold forth or hold onto the word of life. Now this is two meanings. And the one is the natural consequence of the other. And both meanings are to be part of our daily lives. Holding forth means to hold out, to hold forth as if you were reaching out to someone with something. To hold forth, to hold on means to hold fast, to not let go. So it has both those shades of meaning. The New Living Bible puts it this way, hold tightly. To the word of life. The NIV that you may be holding says, as you hold out the word of life. The Amplified, holding out to it and offering to all men the word of life. The Authorized Version simply says, holding forth the word of life. The Weymouth New Testament says, holding out to them a message of life. Moffat's New Testament translation says, hold fast the word of life. The ESV that some of you are fond of at this present time says, holding fast to the word of life. And so you have all these shades of meaning, but basically it falls into two parts, doesn't it? You're holding on or you're holding out. You're holding forth or you're holding fast. Vincent's New Testament word study said the verb means to hold upon, to apply, to fix attention upon. You remember Peter and John went into the temple at the hour of prayer. And you remember the man who was sitting at the beautiful gate, uh, expecting to receive something of them. Peter said, look at us. And he fixing his attention on them. And it's the same meaning there. Fixing his attention on them. He he. He really got this man's attention and he was holding in that way. So it's holding on, it's holding fast, it's holding forth, it's fixing your minds upon. Hebrews 10.23 says, hold fast the profession of our faith. 
Hebrews 3, 6. Hold fast our confidence and rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. Hold fast that which is good. Jesus in Revelation 3.11, standing in the midst of the church, says, Hold fast that which you have, that no man steal your crown. And so, whatever God has given us, whatever is encapsulated in the gospel and in the gospel message, we, first of all, we are to hold fast to that. But then we're not to be greedy with it, because then we were to hold it forth unto others. But you can't give unto others what you haven't got yourself. Sure you can't. And so we've got to make sure that we hold it. We don't let it go. We hold it fast. Those truths of the gospel of Christ. And then we hold it out to others. We only have the light in a world of darkness. In John's gospel chapter 1. tells us there, there was a man, sorry, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. But then he says that we are the light of the world also. So we must hold fast uh, to this must become part of our lives. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this is something that has to be part of our uh, daily lives. The world is increasingly getting darker by the day, is it not? I mean, it's got to the stage where you're almost shockproof, aren't you, really? Uh, I know that at this time of the year, uh, September, uh, particularly on television, there's been a lot of looking back at the 9-11 event in America Uh, which was horrible, which was almost at that time just unbelievable. When you saw it on television, those planes crashing into the Twin Towers, it was like something out of a Spielberg movie. It was just unreal to see, wasn't it? Uh, But we're not so shocked now. That initial shock has subsided, horrible as it is. And now there's been new atrocities continually all over the world. And it's got to the stage where we hardly even blink anymore with what we see in television. And uh, we see the world getting darker and darker and darker. The God of this world, Paul says, has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the gospel should shine on. But he says that we have the mind of Christ. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Holding forth the word of life. Where? When? Do we hold forth the word of life? Well, the verse before told us, didn't it? Among whom you shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. If ever there was a generation that needed the light of the gospel, it's this generation, isn't it? And this is the only generation that we're ever going to get a chance to shine in, isn't it? It's the only one that will ever get a chance to shine our lights for Jesus. We'll never have another opportunity like this one. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so each day, whether it's in the workplace or the university or the college or the school or, the, or wherever it may be or amongst our neighbors or even our family, there's always going to be that opportunity, isn't there? Uh, to shine some light for them. Because if they're not saved, no matter how nice they are, they're actually in darkness. And they will never see the light unless the light shines upon them. And so Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the ones that are to shine. If they're going to see Christ, they're going to see Christ in you. Or they're not going to see him. That puts a lot of onus on us, doesn't it? That puts a bit of pressure on us. So that we have to live the life in front of them. And we have to shine our light before them. The world is controlled by spirit, spirits of darkness. Paul talked about the rulers of the darkness of this world. Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Peter said we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul said we have been delivered from the power of darkness. And have been transformed into the kingdom of his dear son. Thank God tonight that the light shone in our hearts. Because we were in darkness, weren't we? But at one point... The light of God shone on our hearts. And for the first time we saw clearly. And we received his light. Friday night past we had that wonderful testimony of that young man. Who was homeless, an alcoholic, a drug addict. Who lived in the streets. He lived a depraved life. Until the light of Christ shone on his heart. Through the testimony of another believer. Just through the testimony of another believer. Just through one man shining his light. And he caught that light. And his life has never been the same. It's amazing what a testimony will do, isn't it? You say, well, I haven't got a great startling testimony. Well, it's a testimony. Somebody needs to hear it. And when the Bible tells us that we're to go out and shine our lights, this is what it's talking about. Our lives and our lips. We only have the truth in a world of crookedness and deception. 
This word system is crooked. It's corrupt, isn't it? And the word of life is the only true yardstick. It's the only plumb line. It's the only measuring rod. And this is why the devil attacks it again and again. Imagine a government whose yardstick was the word of God. It'd be hard to find in this word, wouldn't it? Imagine a government cabinet of ministers who before every major decision for their nation got on their knees and asked Almighty God to guide them. Wouldn't you think that country would be blessed? Sin brings shame to a nation. But whenever the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, the Bible says. Imagine if television was submitted to the Word of God. Imagine the producers who were making programs were saying, before we make this program, will this glorify God? Will this exalt righteousness to the people? Some chance you say, with the junk that we get in our television. But what a difference that would make, wouldn't it? Imagine if education or science was subject to the yardstick of the Word of God. You see, there are many today who say that if you believe in the Bible as truth, if you believe that God even exists, you couldn't possibly be scientific in your thinking and you'd be a very poor scientist if you did. That's the mantra today. And so believers who are scientists are struggling to get even their papers published. Some are even getting rejected from posts because they believe this Bible is the truth. It's the word of life. It's the yardstick. But the world doesn't believe that. But what if it did? How different things would be. How different India would be without Hinduism. Or Japan without Shintoism. Or China without Communism. Or the Middle East without Islam. Or the West without Consumerism. What if God was ruling and reigning? What if there wasn't democracy? What if there's theocracy? What if it was now like what it's going to be when Christ comes back and he rules and he reigns on this earth? What a difference that would make. But that's not the way it is right now. Because the rulers of the darkness of this world are prevailing at this present time. We have the only life in a world of death. Romans 8 and 2, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What a terrible cycle it is. The law of sin and death. This world is trapped in the cycle of sin and death. It's a law that has brought sickness and disease, war and destruction, murder and hatred, brokenness and bitterness. It destroys. And the world is gripped by it. 
And right now, particularly in the Middle Eastern countries, they do not know what to do. The nations, the superpowers are at loggerheads, wondering what they can do to stop this cycle, and they can't stop it. It's the law of sin and death, isn't it? But in the midst of that law of sin and death, we can hold out the word of life because only Jesus can break the cycle, can't he? And many a man and a woman has a testimony that their lives was to be destroyed and they're in a circle of sin and death. But Jesus broke the cycle and he brought life and he brought it in abundance. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. What do you think he meant by that? What do you think Jesus meant by abundant life? To some life, is just, it's just being alive, isn't it? It's just the daily grind. It's just basically existing. To others, it's their achievements, it's their aspirations, it's their goals, it's their accomplishments. To a salesman, it's clenching the deal. As opposed to a striker, it's scoring the goal. To a politician, it's getting a seat on the front bench. To the CEO, it's getting right to the top tier and getting the big pension at the end of it. These are all the goals that men have. But to many people, life is just a beautiful home. It's a decent job. It's having a lovely family. It's having a good car, two weeks in the sun. That's life. It's the best they can hope for. But is that what you think Jesus was talking about when he said, I am come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Now to be sure all these things that I've just mentioned uh, are, are good and they sort of weave the fabric of our daily lives and that's fine and fair enough but if that's all Jesus is talking about then of course abundant life would be having an abundance of all of those things but it can't be that he's talking about because he said in another place that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. So if things and stuff is abundant life, then the more you have of those things and stuff, the more abundant your life will be. But Jesus said it doesn't, it doesn't consist in those things. Paul summed it all up. He says, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. It wasn't always that way for Paul. If you read Philippians 3, you'll see that Paul had a very big long list of things that he was very proud of in this life. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a purebred Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, no less. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, you couldn't get a better teacher of the law than him. 
And all of these things that was his status, all of this stuff, all of his baggage that he was proud of in life, that gave him a name and a status within his circle. He says, all of this I've counted as nothing, as refuge, that I might win Christ. For me to live as Christ, it's not all of that stuff. It's not all those titles. All of that, he says, for me to live is Christ. And that's what makes the difference. John said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So John makes it very clear cut. It's very black and white, isn't it? Peter says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. As the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. So life is in Christ, isn't it? So we have to think, what does life mean? When the Bible, when the New Testament talks about life, it's not just talking about daily grind. And it's not talking about the accumulation of stuff. It's something that's much more profound than that. It's having Christ in us, the hope of glory. And this life will last throughout all eternity. John wrote, and this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John also wrote, in him, in Jesus, in him was life. Zoe is the word. In him was life, and his life was the light of man. The New Testament uses various words to describe life. And though I mentioned them before, I'll briefly mention them again tonight. Suke. Suke is a word that speaks of life in the New Testament. It means natural life, breath of life. Your spirit, your soul, your body, suke. Everybody possesses suke. Bios is another word that's used. And it means means of life or maintenance of life, duration of life, living. As you go on in life, your life's maintained and you live. Everybody possesses bios. Anastrophe is manner of life. Conduct, behavior, way of life. Could we say lifestyle? Everybody has a lifestyle. Everybody has a manner of life, a behavior of life, a conduct of life. Everybody possesses that. But there's something different about Zoe life. And the New Testament speaks of Zoe life 
Z-O-E, Zoe, life. It talks about it in two ways. By the way, that's where we get the word zoo from in zoology. And so it means life. Like breath, like life. That every creature on earth is God. Humans, animals, insects, everything is good. Zoe. But there's an aspect to Zoe which goes way beyond that. And Jesus had it. In him was Zoe. And this is life in the absolute sense. The divine. The great expositor of New Testament words says this is life in the absolute sense. Life as God has it. The highest kind of life. I am come that you might have Zoe life. That's different in suke or bias or anastrophe. Everybody's got that. But what Jesus is offering is different. In him was Zoe life, and the life was the light of man. John 5, 26, as the Father has life, Zoe, in himself, so he has given to the Son to have life in himself. Now, this life, this Zoe life, this is what man had. But through the fall, man lost that. He lost that dimension, that life that God had, that spiritual life in him was gone. But Jesus came and reconnected man to God and he got that life back because it was in Christ. Are you still with me? And it's only us that has it. This is the life of God that was in Christ that has been supernaturally, mystically supernaturally, has been imparted to us at the moment of the new birth. When you were born again from above, the Bible says. A wonderful, supernatural thing happened inside you. The life of God, the Zoe life, came into you and gave you a new life. If any man is in Christ, he is a what? A new creature completely different this is what makes us different than everything and everyone else this life of God so what are we holding forth to people the word of life this Zoe life this transforming life this gospel that will change a man or a woman into a new person in Christ you couldn't offer somebody anything better than that. You couldn't. We have got the greatest message. We have got the greatest offer to give anybody. And we shouldn't be greedy with it. We should hold it out. As well as holding fast to it, we should hold it out to others and reach it on to men. And so this life is wonderful, isn't it? And so we have a new nature because of this life. We live under a new covenant today because of this life. 
We have a new power because of this life. We have been set free from the law of sin and death. And now the law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus is in us. And it liberates us and it frees us. And it empowers us. It's the only way we can live this Christian life. And we've got a brand new start in life. We have been made new creatures in Christ. And so when we talk about the word of life, this and more is what we're talking about tonight. What a privilege. (laughs) What a privilege that we have this life in us. The life that was in Christ Jesus. The resurrection life. That one day will raise us even from the very dead. That will one day give us a new body. Like unto his glorious body. That will one day enable us to live forever and forever and forever. In the light of the glory of God. You know whenever astronauts go up into space. It's a very alien place. And if they stepped out of that suit for one second, their brains would boil and they'd be dead in a second because they can't live there. And we're going to a place where we'll need a new body to be able to live in that new atmosphere, in that new place that's being built for us. Glory to God. Jesus just walked through walls and appeared to his disciples. Say, David, will we be able to do that? Don't know for sure, but it's looking like it. If we have a body like his glorious body, (laughs) it'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? I know Sally hates it when I say that I'll be able to work for all eternity. She says, David, I'm just retired. Don't tell me that. But darling, you will have a new body. (laughs) But no excuses much time we spend eating and sleeping. Probably two-thirds of our life is spent eating and sleeping. I don't know if we'll eat or sleep in heaven. I don't know whether we'll need to. All I know is we'll have a resurrection body. Glory to God. And that life, that Zoe life of God that we have right now will take us into heaven and all through eternity. It will get better and brighter and greater as we go on. Glory to God. Instead of getting older, we'll be getting younger and fresher. Glory to God. At least we'll, we'll look that way for eternity. And that'd be good, wouldn't it? I'll be really looking at these old glasses and all the rest of it. I'll be able to bend down and tie my shoes without creaking and groaning. It'd be wonderful. I'll be like a new man. <laughs> I'll be like a man solid married at the start. <laughs> I'll be like a 19 year old. They said in Ukraine that Clifford was an old man and a young, a young man and an old man's body. And that was something out there. So we'll know have no longer old man's bodies, Clifford. It'd be wonderful. Aren't you glad tonight that we're saved? Yes. The life of God is in us. What a wonderful life this is. Glory to God. I can't understand people sitting in the house on Sunday night watching TV when they could be in here and truth like this. Can you? I can't understand it. I'm ranting again, but I better stop. <laughs> No point in telling you you're here. Sure, there's not. I'm sure there's good excuse for some of them, but there's others. I don't know. Well, stop that. (laughs) 
Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Stand with us.